Let's talk JMMA with Charlie Jewett from sogo-kaku.com. This is a podcast about the deep end of Japanese combat sports scene. I'm your host, Shu Hirata from On the Road Management. Now, let's begin. Hey, good evening, Charlie. Good morning, Shu. How's it doing over there? Good, good, good. Um, I'm back from three weeks in Atlanta. Actually, technically, went back and forth, back and forth every weekend for Professional Fighters League. That so, sounds pretty hot. Well, Atlanta, it's a nice town. It's okay, but not like all three weeks, right? You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so let's talk about this Takeru kickboxing fight in Paris, which yeah. I something I actually haven't had a chance to uh, watch yet. So mm-hmm. tell us about this. Yeah, so I was looking into it. I mean, at first, I noticed there was like a lot of commotion going on after the event because um, it seemed like the fights were going over. Mm-hmm. Like they over time? Were, mm-hmm. Yeah, over time, over time. Okay. Just, especially the Taiju fight, people were saying it went like a minute long and everything. And it was well, I looked into it. So, what happened was the French Federation is in charge of bringing all the equipment to the event. Okay. And the bell was stuck in traffic. Yes. And because of the Abima broadcasting schedule, they couldn't wait for the bell. Uh huh. So, they held an event without a bell to notify people that the fights had ended. So no one had the horn, none of that. None of that, none of that. And the production staff also wasn't stopping the mm-hmm. clock on the TV when the referee was stopping the fight. And so okay. it was like it was like reading like zero seconds left, but it was still going on for like a minute more, which but just I mean, led to like people being even more confused. I mean, this is a promoter who has done many, many kickboxing shows in the past, right? Right. So the promoter's saying it's all on the commission because the the promoter has nothing to do with the bell it was the commission they handle the bell they handle all the equipment like that and oh okay pablo jack saying there was someone in the crowd had a horn well well, if the commission you know this is really a little bit puzzling for me because if this is north american commission if they did show up late 30 minutes or whatever they will delay the show for 30 minutes they will not be allowed to go on without a bell without a whatever Yes, that's what was, it's supposed to be. I feel, like the, I feel like the Federation should just put their foot down yeah. and said, well, Abima's going to have to deal with it. They're going to have to air it 30 minutes later or however long it takes to get the bell. But <laughs> well, it says, uh, Some fans tried to offer them a gong on their phones, but they declined. <laughs> of course, on the phone, you can't do that. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it had to be some other way to do it. I mean, I see this guy's point. I mean, you know. I mean, there had to be another alternative, and but anyway, but so how so long? Think, is, how long? What happened was in traffic. I don't think it ever showed up. That's not traffic issue, then. Because I, they said people were saying the Takeru fight went like thirty seconds long. They're saying the Taiju fight went like a minute long. So yeah, that's terrible. Really bad. I mean, yeah. plus, I mean. It looks even worse because I feel bad for Abima too because it's like they're putting it's like their first kind of big international Takeru kickboxing event mm-hmm. and it was an expensive pay per view and if you bought it you just watched this 
big shit show where the local commission messed everything up. It's really weird, though. So, what were the excuses for the person for not showing up? The per the bail person, what or whatever happens to him? Like they don't really I get just, into that details, huh? I just read an email. I just read an article on Beyond Kick where the guy they uh -huh. interviewed the referee that was in charge, right? And the only answer they got was that it was stuck in traffic. Oh, it says arrived for Takeru, so I guess Bell made it for Takeru fight. Yeah, and Bob Blue Jack's letting us know that 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 fight didn't go long. That was just the production crew not stopping the clock. Uh, I see. And okay. the ref stopped it so that it went. It, so people watching it were confused, but not people there in attendance. Has that uh, ever happened to you? Have you ever been to an MMA show where like something like that has happened before? Well, you know what? <laughs> Let me ask you this. I'm going to say a big Y-E-S, yes, to a 50,000 stadium shows, which is called Inoki Bombaye in Kobe Stadium back in December 31st of 2000, whatever. Mm -hmm. And uh, <laughs> nobody ha ha was uh, supposed to bring a bell. So they didn't have a bell. So there was a big chaos. It was Noboru Asahi trying to call everybody, find the bell and all kinds of stuff. So when, well, okay, this is not a commission. It's a show run by a people who yeah. has done the show, the fight show. So, so I've seen that happen before. Well, at least in Japan, the crowd's kind of quiet. Maybe someone could just make a loud noise right, or something. Yeah. But, so uh, yeah, I, I was just going just just gonna say that this has happened before in Japan. Oh, <laughs> it's just kind of funny that this is all because most people in Japan are like never gonna watch this French promotion again. Well, again, and, but that's okay though. Yeah. I think from Abema's and Japanese fans' point of view, fight fans' point of view, who cares about that mm. French promotion? I'm sorry, you know, I don't mean to be, you know, yeah. <laughs> anything bad to this promotion because it's all commission's fault. Sounds like, but um. You know, I mean, it's all about Takeru and the Japanese fighters, and it really is all about Takeru, right? This yeah. is a big stepping stone to the big fight in one championship debut, and I suspect yeah, are, the Japan show, right? Probably, so. Yeah, they're already building up the Rodotong fight, so, I mean, that should right. be the one that's happening, and they'd be, I, I feel like it'd almost be stupid not to put that on a Japan show. Right. Exactly. They're like wasted on any other card, yeah. Right, right. So how, I I wonder what kind of big venue they they have reserved because I actually don't know, you know. Well, because I saw Rodatong saying to Takeru like first get a couple of wins in one championship, but if you I'm know, one championship, I don't even risk it. I like make I make sure this fight happens and I do it now. Mm -hmm. It only makes sense, and you know. Yeah. And, and Takeru, why would like it, let him fight against nobody right at this point? Yeah. I'm pretty sure they're paying top dollars. Put him against guy, you know. Put it in Japan. I mean, if they were going to do that show, do you think they could fill like the Super Arena or something like that? Saitam Super Arena. I mean, they could try. I mean, it, it could make that place as small as maybe twelve, thirteen thousand capacity, right? To make it yes. even down to eight, if they really have to. So wondering... it does make sense to do it there, actually. Because it gives you more flexibility than the Nero Arena, you know, Kokugi Kan, you know? Interesting. Yeah. I, so, so I don't know. I went, when it's, I went to like, terrible, you know? When I would go to like some of the Tenshin fights that weren't in Rising, they were never at like the biggest arenas. Mm. 
and outside of the Takedo fight, they're always kind of like in the medium sized arenas. So. Well, what about place like a new place like the Ariake Arena? I actually have never been to that arena. I mean, is it nice? It's very nice. Yeah, I like it. Right. So, I mean, there are a couple more other new venues it's opening up in, right? In Tokyo. Plus, they have all, all the new Olympic stuff they built for the Olympics. So, they have exactly. a lot of options. Well, they should have other choices. I mean, I know generally it's not that easy for a fight promoter to rent a regular so called gymnasium, you know? Right for various reasons but you know but yeah well i mean i think obviously you know it's already announced that he's signed with one championship so this was all about big debuting one so we'll see and is there any announcement about the pay-per-view sales all kinds of stuff or none of that no i was kind of curious to see how that would go because they had it was kind of interesting they had a tiered level of pay-per-view mm-hmm. where if you like spent the bought the most expensive one you got like items in return you got like a t-shirt and stuff so but it seemed like they're just like going after Tucker's fans for all they could but uh, Bob Lowe Jack has an interesting question he wants to know he says that the Japanese fans actually don't seem to care that much about the time issue and he wants to know if that surprises you or not time issues meaning like that oh you mean that missing the bell whatever you know like mm-hmm. um I think it's just that nobody made a big issue about it. I mean, was yeah. that, like, did, did any, is there any Japanese commentary to begin with? Well, I didn't watch it. I mean, oh, okay. no, but right. there, there has to have been because there has to have been Japanese commentary because mm-hmm. it was on Abima. Right. And uh, probably nobody really made a big issue about it. You know? Yeah. They probably just kind of ignored it. Right. <laughs> because today's... It's like Japanese commentators are way more like toe the, toe the line, don't rock the boat. Right. And, and I mean, yeah. If somebody made a case about it, I'm pretty sure in this age, somebody would write about it on some, you know, media or some internet media, whatever, you know. So, mm-hmm. and nobody wrote about it, right? So, uh, well, I think, I mean, to be honest, the only real fight that people cared about was probably the Takedo fight. Mm-hmm. I mean, sure, Taiju and Taiga have fans, but the one that everyone cared about is Takedo. Yeah, they, they had the usual Abema Japanese commentary crew. Masato was one of them, which makes sense, right? Yeah. You know? Yeah, English uh, English commentaries were definitely making issues though, but they, nobody did. So, I mean, I think, I think in general, I think, this is a big pay per view by Abema. So, like making big issue about the little things that didn't really cause any problem to the results would be kind of you know bad thing to the Abema too. So, I think you know it's a Japanese thing. Yeah, but the sports all the fans care about. about it though. You know, I think you know? one thing of Takeru lost, but because he won with a brutal head kick knockout. Nobody really cares. Exactly. That highlight, you know, footage. Yeah. That's what they care about. But but they, somebody should make an issue, though. This is sports. If this happened, and if this is allowed in the other shows, and, you know, the concept of a fighter's safety, it's really not, yeah. should not be allowed. Right? right. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, so that's too bad. But I guess it's, I guess it's a successful Takeru. Yeah, and I think because that's going to be a, they got what they paid for. They, they, I mean, I think he broke his opponent's collarbone or something. But I mean, he got an absolutely brutal high kick knockout. They're going to be playing that on highlight reels and be playing that fight as they get ready to show the Rodatong pay per view. So yeah, I think they're got their money's worth. That's good. So yeah. that's success because. You know, in a way, for Abema, they need that because UFC went to you next, and now. Let's yeah. talk about this rising show in Hokkaido. Now, instead of uh, being on in Japan, this was on paper, uh, YouTube for free, right? Yes, it was. It was on YouTube for free. 
Mm-hmm. And outside of Japan, it was on Fight TV. I think for like right. it depends on what country you were in, but roughly like twenty bucks. You know, and and I heard that I guess in terms of rising live viewing, it scored like number one in the world viewership in terms of uh that day. Oh, it was off. I mean, I think someone said on the YouTube that it was like going over well over two hundred thousand people watching it live. I could see that, and, right? And um, I mean. I had a feeling this card would deliver on paper. I've always, I was always really high on this card mm-hmm. just because it didn't have the big names that you would expect, but the matchups were kind of crazy matchups of people that have the potential for like chaos and violence. Mm-hmm. And it showed like almost every fight was a brutal finish of some kind. I think, well, except, except my client Tetsuya Seki fight, <laughs> but that's still a good fight though. That's still a really good fight. I mean, that's not his fault. Um, Endo is just like a crazy man that never went down in that fight. Yeah, I know, but you know, I'm telling you right now, me and him, Yasuda, everybody talked about it. This is a fight he needed to finish. But he you know? some, especially near the end when he was like landing all those uppercuts and knees, he clearly right. hurt he the body. too, right? I mean, still, it was not the finish, you know. I think somebody said if you just put the fights on and like yeah. removed all of the. The, the puff and like the decoration, the entire event lasted less than an hour and a half. Really? Just because, like, I mean, there's so many first round finishes on this event. Oh, I can see that, right? I mean, yeah. Again, that kind of reminds me of a very first, first Pancras show. Oh, yeah. The total number of the time of the total time for the fight was like 20 something minutes or something like that, you know? Or like, what was it, the very first UFC on Fox? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, exactly. First, first round knockout. That's, so yeah, exactly. So, no, but I mean, the show was awesome. It was perfect for Rising because I thought it was a smart idea to distribute it for free on YouTube. Mm-hmm. And I mean, 200,000 people were watching it live. I think they made a mistake in taking it down. They should have left it up. Because it down before the f- final fight or main event or whatever. I or? think they um they just like made it a live viewing, but then they like kind of removed it. You can't watch it again, basically. Yeah, I, I thought yeah. them. I put those fights up while the buzz is still hot because some of those finishes were absolutely brutal. I mean, um, Chihiro Suzuki's brother knocked out Umino with a crazy flying knee. Mm. Nuguro knee, I mean, Suguro knee, I mean, the guy's taking out a stretcher, <laughs> bleeding out of the mouth. This I can't even remember all of them. The food the finishes were so brutal. I, I, I did laugh, though, because um, it was kind of funny because could tell that rising kind of called pancreas deep in shuto mm-hmm. and they were like give us your hokkaido fighters we want to sell as many tickets to the hokkaido to these hokkaido people as possible and whenever the hokkaido fighter lost the crowd was just so noticeably quiet and didn't <laughs> even like cheer or anything like when the when the victor right, speaks on the microphone you know, let's talk about this Hokkaido thing. Now, did you hear about the one kickboxer who came out after this fight that he says it? His gym and the coach who has not worked with him for a month accepted this fight without letting him know. So he was forced to cut weight. Enormous no, I didn't hear this. Missed weight and fought. And this is just a real sad story. I mean... In America or any other places, it would, this would never happen. Yeah, no, I mean, it's the, kind of a similar story. I don't know about this instance, but I remember 
when I was interviewing Rena for about kind of like her background, she said when she made her first MMA fight in Rising, she didn't even know about it. She yeah. was just like invited to a press conference. And it was like, by the way, you're making your MMA debut in Rising. It's like she was the last person to know about it. So it seems like it's kind of normal in Japanese combat sports, but still sad. That's that's very bad, though. Yeah. Yeah, I'm talking about, it's about this boy, Hoshikubo. Shoyuki mm -hmm. Hoshikubo. He's a kickboxing fighter who, who fought in the opening fight. And according to him, he hasn't worked out and he was working regular job. So never trained anything. And all of a sudden, his old coach from the gym says, hey, you got the fight offer. This is the weight class. This is, you know, contract weight. And he says, no, I can't never cut down to that weight. I haven't been training anyway, so no. But next thing I know, his fights were announced. So he was forced to, like, cut his weight, which he ended up missing and apologizing in the public. Wasn't and the fight? Can't oh, yeah, the fight went the distance, but it was, like, a no contest. Yes. This was such a, that's such a weird thing because I feel like in Japan, there's the whole thing where, like, if your coach does it, You'll just like go through with it because that's the way it is. But in the US, that's the like fighter just told him to fuck off. <laughs> right. Then it's really funny because then another fighter came out and says, like, well, you know, this guy, this coach, if, if, when I wanted to switch gym or quit gym, he forced me to have a long talk in the car alone, in his car with him for over an hour. At the end of the conversation, he said, I can make a few calls and you could never get fight in this industry ever, ever again. You know, there's always a threat at the end. You know, yeah. it's really sad. Oh man, that sounds rough. It is rough. Now, same from Hokkaido. There's a fighter named Mr. Yamato Nishikawa who fought in PFL. Yes. Right? And just lost. And his family father tells me all kinds of stories that he asked me a lot of questions. Like he, there's so many misinformation going on, <laughs> you know, in that part of the world, Japanese fight world. So, I mean, I feel like, you know, when you're remote away from Tokyo, it's another step away from like a real world standard that people don't realize, you know? I think it happens a lot just in the Japanese fight scene mm -hmm. in general, just because you'll talk to fighters and sometimes they complain, oh, my coach, he talks to the promoter and they never talk to me and I'm like the last person to find out. Always, yeah, I hear and that. And then you find out that like, or you find out like the opposite where it's like, oh, my coach hears from the promoters but never responds to them. Mm -hmm. So I lose all these opportunities that I didn't know that I was getting because the fight, the coach like never brought to me to ask about it. So it's right, just very strange. Me, right, let's stop here because I'm stopping this because I found this on here. Oh, somebody says there's also a controversy in knockout with Musashi being pulled out of the title fight due to changing gym. Now, I'm going to ask you this address this issue. Knockout is a promotion promoted by Mr. Yamaguchi in this photo right there on the left. Right? And he also manages Chihiro Suzuki. Right? Big, clear conflict of interest. Big, 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 huge. You remember Suzuki came out public saying that he's not getting paid enough. <laughs> you know? and there's reason for it. Because if he gets paid a lot of money in Rising, they, this guy will be forced to pay him high money to Suzuki 
when he fights for Narka. Does he also have anything to do with Panchan? Is he like I'm I'm not gonna get into that, but I'm telling this yeah. the problem about the Japanese, uh especially sometimes kickboxing promotions, uh uh Jim is also a promoter and also a manager for fighter. And well, I don't think it's weird. Yeah, I think so it's, it's weird right. when the promoter is also the manager. Exactly, right. It makes zero sense. And so like I think in the to to start, the Japanese fighters must have to realize, educate themselves about a conflict of interest. <laughs> in yeah. the business world, and and they are in the position where they just cannot make a best decision for fighters because that would end up being hurting their promotion. Well, it's a complete conflict right. of interest. It's like it is. if you're managing the fighter and representing the promotion. Yes. Yeah. It's a huge conflict of interest. So again, it's the same way. So if promoter doesn't like you changing the gym, I'm I'm gonna give you a title shot. So that's just really not a, a organized competition right there right yeah basically a playing and this guy's sound locked if you don't like it you get out basically right but if you get out they make a big issue about it <laughs> so yeah. it's, it's something had to change over there otherwise yeah. you you know fighters will never be happy which results in you know lack of you know increasing competition competitors yeah. populations you know and lack well, especially, of quality like fights, it's especially you know? true in kickboxing when there's less major kick promotions in japan Exactly. So it's not a big, big money they're talking about here. Yeah. So it's not like a huge money at the stake, you know? So let's right. really think big, right? You know, because mm -hmm. if you're a coach, I think the best way is to make your fighter strong, win fights, and earn money. <laughs> I mean, it's just really that's yeah. the concept of sports. You know, not using fighter or taking advantage of fighter to make money. That's a different, you know, right. yeah. But Based off some of the stories you've told, I feel like that might be the approach some of these promoters. Yeah, I know. I know. It's sad, but you know, it really shouldn't be. So, but anyway, so let's talk more positive, uh, something mm -hmm. positive, which is uh, Super Rising. Oh, wait, back to the yeah. Rising 43. Did you see the news oh. about the bear sighting? Oh, I heard, yes. It's no the, fight. But there was like bear, they had to like double security outside the venue because the stadium is like in a park. And there were bears seen like in the park, like uh -huh. right by the stadium. So they had to like double the police presence in the area to be able to hold the event. Welcome well, to Hokkaido. I know it's Hokkaido. I guess that I, I've heard that sometimes they cross the streets and stuff, right? I mean, I think a month ago, fishermen got eaten by a bear up there, right? It's a northern big island, which is this vast nature in that part of the uh, country. Yeah. And lots of Kurosawa's film were shot in. Hokkaido, you know. But I saw the ticket sales. It's like eighty-five hundred people. So I mean, it seems like it's a pretty successful event. It's a big capacity, right? Isn't it like twelve thousand people max or something like that? It's, it's like twelve thousand max. Yeah. yeah. So that's so, good. Oh, let's not go back up there in the future. Yeah, before we get into super rising, I want to talk about this steroid testing in JMMA. <laughs> oh, that seems that seems so weird to me. For some reason, Philip Minoru Kimura. Yeah. A lot of fans like uh, pointed out that he looks like he jacked up, right? So well, first off, Gimura came up publicly for the first time, publicly notified to the fans that Rising has been doing the drug testing, you know, and yeah, he will specifically to do that for Kimura. Now, what, what's the reaction to that? Well, it's kind of weird because, I mean, he said what they've been—they sent a sample to the U.S. to be tested. 
They use this lab, which I know, actually, it's a very legit lab, where I recommend it by New Jersey Athletic Commission. So, and it does take three to four weeks. But it's just, so, mm -hmm. why are they, I don't understand why they're doing that. Because he said that they've been doing it. They just never made the results public before. Exactly. Uh, they have been doing that. I think they picked like three, four, five, whatever, randomly after the fight. It just seems strange to me because it kind of border, you get to that strange like one championship area where mm -hmm. if the promoter doesn't have a commission and is independently testing the fighters and not releasing the results, then it just kind of is like, oh, well, then are they like ignoring test positive tests or what are they doing? Exactly. Actually, I agree with you that they should make uh, results public because they are actually a severe punishment on this. Right. Actually, it's it's all depends on the fighters, but some it, it it's all it's all written on a contract, and I've seen a contract saying that if it comes out positive, hundred percent of your purse will be confiscated, which is yeah, severe penalty compared to what we used to here. Well, yeah? Weren't there rumors in the past about, I won't say names, but rising fighters that had failed tests because there's kind of like behind the scenes punishments that happened? But just mm, seems kind I, of weird to me that you're only releasing one specific fighter's results. Did they announce that result? No. No, they said that they're going to release Kimura's uh, results. Oh, when Kimura. It comes out yeah, in yeah, a month. Exactly. And I'm like, why not release all of them? Like, why are we just picking one person? It seems strange. I mean, yeah, I think this is what it is, Charlie. The whole concept, I think, at least for Mr. Sakibara, this is a sport, but still, it's not a, a, a top to bottom strict professional competition. So, yeah. stereo testing is part of his entertainment tools. I think, yeah, <laughs> it all seems just like showmanship because, I mean, instant, you know, he's been very public in saying that they would. The steroid testing and pride was just an intelligence test. And I mean, it's, it's kind of funny that Sakaki Barra is like up there shaking hands with Overeem in the ring and then they're at the same event talking about steroid testing. So, well, yeah, but here's, here's the bottom I just, line. I also don't, do the Japanese fans care? I don't think Japanese fans care about steroid testing. Well, uh, I would say there's a, a small circle of fans who cares deeply, deeply. <laughs> Passionately, but and I actually care, you know, for safety's fighters' point of view. And if you allow, then it's just gonna go more. It's you know, when yeah. it comes to that category of performance enhancing drugs, it could go miles, right? It will end up being uh, some sort of injuries or right. you know, shortening uh, fighters' career, so and or end up being in a rehab or whatever, right? <laughs> so. I mean, but just like it feels like Rising definitely has like different types of fights. They have like serious fights that are like actual MMA fights. And there's also like more entertainment focused ones. And I feel like Kimura definitely falls more into that. I mean, everybody knew why he was brought to this event. It was to brutally knock out Daryl Lakoku. <laughs> no, I don't know. I have no idea. But again, that's it's all about the finish, right? Because they always yeah. value or how many finishes you had on this show and that show, you know. That's I think it's just a I think you hit the nail. I, th I think you hit the nail on the head, though. This is just like part of the entertainment for Sakakibara. It's kind of part of the whole like uh, spectacle of the event. Exactly. And let me tell you why. You know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get more into it since you said that 
some guys are brought in to just get knocked out completely, right? I mean, in that rising 30, 43 show, there was a lopsided matchups, obviously. A lot and of them, yeah. Yeah, some kids came from breaking down. Nishi, Tani, whatever that boy. Yeah, got, got yeah, yeah. in like 40 seconds. Yeah, exactly. I can tell you this right now that Rising actually wants to offer him for to fight Reni Hiramoto. I'm like, what? You know, like taking Ren to be the easiest knockout of your entire career. Yeah, but you know, that actually I'm I'm this that's just not good because that's actually almost crossing the borderline on being dangerous. Because you're okay. really matching a, a real seasoned trained a kickboxer. In the open yeah. finger gloves against a guy who really, actually, really never really trained. Oh, I, you know, I would not categorize him as a real trainer under the real professional environment. You know, I still think it's. But see, that match especially, I mm -hmm. think rise. I think Rising wants these breaking down fighters to win because <laughs> that guy came up and because he was on the card. Mikuru flew up to the event. They had the camera on him the whole time. He came up in the ring. No. I thought I think that they thought by putting him in the ring with a 38-year-old past yeah. his prime kickboxer that he might win. And uh, that's not what happened. No. I think, Charlie, you live in Japan, so you realize this. For, but for those who in America or anywhere else who may not know this, that Japan is a peculiar market. It, the consumers are peculiar in a sense that in terms of entertainment or sometimes sports or mixed entertainment, they prefer unfinished products. They prefer watching amateur grows into uh, professional. Like right. idols seven years old like that. They're, they're far from being professional. Right. You know? But they like to support, right? They like to cheer through to make it to the top and see if they make it into the professional. Like, look at their music industry. Of course, there are a lot of musicians that are totally professional. But half of it is is like that, idol singers. Yeah. So if you're a totally professional, like like American musician, they're pro, right? It's nothing for you to worry about. You sit down and watch their presentation, basically. But right. it's not like that. So the breaking down same way, I think. Lots of the fans wants to watch him try to grow into the professional fight. Fighter. Well, it's the, I mean, it's the same thing what you're describing. It's like the same with the whole Kota Miura thing. Mm -hmm. Exactly. It's like people yeah. just want to see him take on the challenge. Exactly. Being an MMA he's, fighter. he's a son of a very, very famous soccer player. True, but in that way, though, he's also kind of like an idol fighter almost because True. he's a bunch of female fans. They all think he's cute. Exactly, right. Yeah. So, yeah, you're, you're, right. you're right on the money. It's basically there's a competi competition division and entertainment division in Rising. There's, oh, a, there's an invisible line right there. Uh, yeah. Yushi, Yushi is definitely on the entertainment side of things. And he's just, and I'm fine with it. I'm fine with there being entertainment fights. They're fun. Mm -hmm. They kind of help keep the shows interesting. Right. So but, that yeah. concept and stereo testing. So how that work, right? I mean, but this is my the bottom line. I feel today's stereo testing. Right? I mean, today's performance enhancer. It's very advanced in the sense if you know if you're going to get tested on that specific day, there's a way to get out of it. You know what I mean? So is it? I mean, you see like the um documentary on netflix icarus and then you hear about like the baseball players just do micro dosing mm -hmm. it seems like if you know what you're doing you're not going to be caught exactly so it, the only way to do it is like like wada usada or ufc or olympic league you know they got to put you on monitor 24 hours a day 365 days 
Yeah, well, let's say I did, I did see uh, your interview. See, I saw Mizuki's interview with Drake Riggs where Usada came in during yeah, the interview. Exactly right. So, <laughs> well, it's they're very strict. They can come in with, with, at your work too, and if you have to work, yeah. they'll stand there and watch you till you take a break. They'll follow <laughs> you everywhere you go to make sure. From that moment on, they cannot be out of their sight. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, I mean that's the only way to do it, you know. Otherwise, like you see on the PFL, it's despicable in a way that a bunch of guys got tested positive, right? Yeah. Plus, do you think? I mean, Sakaki Bar is such a promoter that I think if he mentioned steroid testing, he knows that there's some articles are going to be written about that. It's going to get more attention to the event. I think he's a smart guy. I think he knows why he said it. Right. That I think he also knows that nobody will care in a month what happened. It's, it's entertainment tools. It's another yeah. topic to provide to the fans and to get those clicks and the page yeah. views, and, you know, whatever. You know, so, um, yeah, but uh, again, it, it costs a lot of money to do what Olympics or UFC is doing. So right. you can't ask Sakagibara to spend like $10 million and do the same yeah. thing for 165 days a year. So, you know, I guess they, and also there's no athletic commissions in Japan, so they have to figure it out on their own. They have to provide, yeah. you know, you know, resources. Uh, to do I don't that. think anyone's asking for them to do like an Osato style system because that would just be unreasonable. They'd go broke just trying to administer that program. Yeah, exactly. And then, and the bottom line is like Bellator can't do it. You know, PFL is not doing that until the playoffs now, you know? So, yeah. so it has to be a limited time, but you know, I guess it just costs a lot of money, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So um, then I want to get to the next point, which is the Tyra fight got canceled because the, the opponent was waiting four pounds over, whatever. Dude, I saw some pictures of Tyra. He's like wrapped like a burrito yeah, on the floor. Exactly. Like he, he suffered through that. It's kind of frustrating to see him suffer through yeah, that weight cut. Very common way for weight cuts. You know, like a lot of people are actually, it's, it's hard. You know, I'm not taking anything away from it, but there's a specific method to do it. So right. it's not you. They're not doing that for hours. Most of the right. time, you do it a couple hours the night before, and maybe two, three hours. If it doesn't work, you do more. That's when you get into the suffering stage. And yeah, it's less. You know, a couple pounds are tough. It's really tough. But uh, more of a disciplined athletes has more muscle and less fat, basically, right? And and the muscle contains a lot of water, makes your water cut a little bit easier than the others. So I mean. Yeah, the professional can make it, you know? And yeah, so, yeah. in that sense, his opponent wasn't professional. Maybe he was intentional. I don't know. But, you know, four pounds over is pretty big. And That's I was, it. yeah, and I was very impressed that fighter uh, Tyra decided to not fight. Because in this case, I would say 99.99999% of a Japanese fighter would say yes. Oh, I'll fight. No. No, I'm, I would. I, I 100% respect the decision to not take yes. this fight. All the Why way. give your opponent a full... I mean, who knows what the opponent's going to weigh in at if they miss weight by four pounds. Exactly. But also, the opponent robbed Tyra's opportunity to win win bonus. So That's I true. sincerely hope, you know, his management tried to get that win bonus too, you know. Sometimes yeah. that happens, but most of the time it doesn't, you know. And he'll probably went home with, a, you know, maybe... Plus twenty percent or thirty percent of the other guy's purse, whatever that is. But still, you know, he got robbed yeah. of opportunity to do a win bonus, opportunity to get another performance bonus. Yeah. So potentially, right? He he yeah, might just... be lost like fifty, sixty, seventy thousand, whatever that is. So I think it's very, you know, unprofessional. 
was also just a general waste of time. I mean, yes. fighters, the when the, their prime window is so small, like any canceled fight like this, it's just a giant waste of time. Exactly. Now, this is when I want to get into it. The most of the time, when you know Japanese fighters, when they make weight and when they find out the oh, opponent didn't make a weight, and and when they say, oh, do you want to cancel this fight?" The very first time, most of the time, Japanese fighter ask, "Oh, so what's my penalty?" So they feel like I have a penalty, even though I made a weight. They feel it's common in Japan. And that penalty is maybe the tickets he sold, whatever that is. But it's very yeah. weird. So in Japan, although. They say that, oh, we're doing unified rules and blah, blah, blah. And when it comes to penalties, it's never publicly announced. It's yeah, always so something disgusting happens <laughs> behind the door. You, you know? mentioned in the past that like, um, if a fighter can't fight, they're kind of responsible for the tickets they sold themselves. I've heard that, yes. That, that happened before. <laughs> yeah. So what happens if your opponent misses weight and the fight is canceled? I've, I've seen a contract where, let's say, the fight gets canceled, and if your opponent misses weight, that per fighter who missed the weight would have to buy that ticket to the opponent's ticket. So, like, what do you do if you're like, I mean, this is an extreme example, but if like your opponent is like Koji, who sold like 5,000 tickets, there's no way you're ever going to pay that back. You're, you're going to be uh, working in, in some uh, tuna fisherman's ship for the next couple of years. Or something like that. Really, it really comes. Oh, you know, talk about negotiating, paying over the next ten years or whatever that is. I don't know, but that's, that's really stupid, right? So it's really, really stupid. So, I mean, if you uh, have a right management, you look through the contract and you just basically cross that line. You know. Well, I have. I won't mention names, but I have noticed. I know. I do know some fighters. Back to your point, who after they missed weight were kind of like secretly punished by the promotion. And that they weren't allowed to fight for like a year, or they were made to do like some kind of demeaning yeah, task. Like yeah, and it, you know, most of the time is this, which is really again another point of the Japanese MA, which I really dislike, is that most of the time those are actually clear written in the contract. Yeah. Stupid rules like uh, you know, hundred dollars per point zero zero gram you miss kind of stuff. It's really really stupid, but. Most of the time, fighters or coaches just didn't read them. It also, no. do, can you? I have to. I have to think that one of the stupidest missed weight penalties mm -hmm. involves your client Mizuki. Oh, I know. Because when she know. fought Emi Tomimatsu, and then defeated Emi Tomimatsu with an armbar. When I was writing the results for that, it was like Mizuki taps. Tomimatsu with armbar, Tomimatsu crowned new champion. It's just like, <laughs> that's like the most humiliating championship well, ever. Here, here's the same thing as what happened to Clever Koike and Suzuki, too, right? He got stripped of the title, which is fine, right? Yeah. But if you agree to fight, that result stays. That's the sport. I mean, I, it's, yes. it's one thing I don't know about this Japanese MMA that, oh, if you win, it's no contest. You know what I mean? I guess. Well, I, Whenever it happens, I've seen it happen a lot now. Oh, a lot. It's very I've common. Seen happen, I've seen it happen many times, but every time it happens in a high-profile fight like that, it raises so much international criticism. Exactly. Everyone's just like, why is this fight even happening? Like, why would they agree to this? And I'm telling you this, Charlie, I'm going to tell you this on the record. Every time 
I have this discussion with matchmaker promoters in Japan that why can't you just change that? Like what everybody else does. Just say this is unified rules. This is how it works. If you agree to the catch rate, you fight. If you don't agree, you go home with the you know, guarantee money. That's it, show money. You know, you make it simple. But if you step into the cage, it's a competition. So you have to crown the winner, period. Because you agree yeah. to fight at that weight class. Because you didn't force that fighter to agree, you know, to fight yeah. in that weight class. But the problem is the Japanese has this a little force all the time. They will always corner a fighter to the point where they just cannot say no. So it's it's really that rule is based on the fact that they will force fighter to get into the ring or the cage. That's why that rule is very disgusting to me. If the fighter should have just right to say no. Who cares if it's main event or not? And the promoter has yeah. to deal with it because that's the risk they have to take to run the show. You know what I mean? If they don't want that, they should clearly like verbalize it in a contract that they have to take fight, even though the guy's five pounds over, but you can take 100% of their purses away or whatever that is, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's, just... it just has to be verbalized. It's just never. That's why it's always a, a, a very ugly negotiation behind the stage. The no always. contest thing is just, just like, give the guy a yellow card, take a point away, do something, least, right, something like yeah. that. Yeah. But make the result if it's a finish count because exactly right. It's a sport. It's ridiculous. It's in pro wrestling. You know? it's like it becomes like this weird half exhibition match, exactly. half real. Right. It's also why Japanese MMA fighters have like all these crazy records with. I always tell matchmakers and promoters, the why can't you just change it as like in everybody else? Like it just say it's unified rules. Just do it as is. But everybody tells me the same thing. The Japanese audience would never accept that. They're like, do you have any statistic results? Do you do and did you do any research? It's like, no, 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 no. But I we know. I know the Japanese will not accept that. Japanese cannot accept that. Japanese will not understand that. You know, like Japanese always like to use that phrase japanese will not do it or japanese don't understand that telling you there are a lot of japanese people everybody has different kind of thinking as you can see right you know like the guy who won the election and decided not to show up at the parliament and get to end up getting arrested that's he's japanese too so i don't it was also remember that you were osaka how confusing it was when they canceled the fight for missed weight but they still had the fighters come out in their fight where and people were like, is this fight happening? I thought this was canceled. And then they came out to the ring and like apologized to the crowd in uh, their fight year. Charlie, I have to really talk about this publicly then. And I would have I would have to apologize to Roxanne for making her do that. But that happened in Sengoku show. Oh really? Roxanne Mother Fairy and Hitomi Akano. Roxanne right. got sick, food poison. Doctor said there's no she can fight. So fights canceled, right? There's nothing you can do. But the promoter was so upset. I heard, I'm not naming names, one of the promoter yelling on the intercom to the staff who was with us saying, I don't care how she is, just drag her ass out of the ring. You know, like that kind of stuff. They just like really, like, so I told him, no. (laughs) You know, this is going to happen. So I really had to negotiate to the point that at least she would make a walk out. Step into the ring. That's even worse though, like, it's worse. What's the point, right? But from their point of view, it, it's they feel like they need they feel obligated to show a talent into the stage so the fans can at least get a glimpse of that fighter because they are talents. You remember like the, 
the super weird Gabby Garcia apology too. They like marched her out and had her apologize. I mean, it's just exactly. Yeah. So it's like a, a cruise. Nobody wants to see that, right? It just, seems, it just seems humiliating for the fighter. Like, let them stay backstage. Exactly. But again, like, let's say, for example, let's say you're a Japanese entertainment comp manager who has the actress, the husband got caught cheating. What this manager does is you make sure that you drag her husband out of public humiliation. You even hire these harsh questioning journalists, surround them and smash them, you know, just beat them up. So to the point the Japanese audience will feel, oh, I feel so bad. It's okay. Let them go. I'm serious. That's force, the strategy of Japan. Force people to pity them? It is. it is. It's the same strategy. That's what they do. <laughs> just the most uncomfortable stuff. I, I just wish... I'm okay. I, look. But if, you, if you maneuver that, they will call me as a, a great, powerful manager who knows exactly what he's doing. <laughs> just... Like, if you miss weight, either don't do the fight or do the fight, but no and contest stuff needs actually, to Actually, the reason, I'm, I'm going to sidetrack a little bit. There's a TV series called uh, Let's Get Divorced, a Japanese TV job on Netflix. It's a, it's about the politician, dumb kid politician, and also very famous actress. And actually, the, the, the things I just told you about is actually depicted in that drama. It's <laughs> all about the Japanese, and it's very interesting. But anyway, so... Check it out. Yeah, you got to check it out. Anyway, so Super Rising, it's a month away. And it's basically a Bellator. And yeah, Rising still hasn't announced a couple of the fights, right? No, they're supposed to announce maybe one or two more fights, whatever. They say it's yeah. like five or six fights, whatever, right? So now. Right now, the main promotional angle seems to be this. They keep saying but the flying cage seems to be the. The big thing. Focus yeah. of the, for some reason, the <laughs> fact that they're using a cage and a ring seems to be a big promotional factor. Right. Yeah. But also for the Japanese point of view, it's really about the Asakura, two Asakuras. And Horiguchi. Yeah. And, yeah, and Horiguchi. And against my client, Makoto. You know, mm-hmm. so that's a three big fights. And pretty much this, this show is all about those three at this point, right? Right. Unless they're adding, you know, Hiramoto fight or something else, you know? Mm-hmm. There was rumors circulating, and maybe they might add the Pacquiao exhibition fight. Blah, 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 but yeah, I if they it. were going to do that, they would have done that. I feel like right, exactly. Why would you tag that on last minute to a uh, right? Exactly yeah. right. So I mean, is is fans now talking about these fights? I mean, in Japan, I mean, they're talking about it. I mean, when they announced, they had like the press conference in Shibuya. It looked like a lot of people were interested in it. I'm now convinced that no matter what Mikuru does, his fans will be interested. Sure, right. And, and I'm actually okay that he chose uh, Keramov to fight instead yeah. of some another Japanese fighter because I think he's smart enough to know that at this point of his career, if he to fight, he should fight somebody who's very good. So even though he loses, he doesn't lose his credibility. Yeah, if he loses yeah. to him, he's losing to a guy that's one of the best in the division. Exactly. Plus right. he's losing right. to an international fighter, which... right. Exactly. Fans will think the guy's stronger anyway. Right. Exactly. So he knows exactly what he's doing. Plus, they'll like respect him for like taking on the challenge of facing. Oh, right. So he knows he's a good producer of himself. That's yeah. very good. And another guy is Kai against Archuleta. I think it's going to be a pretty interesting fight too. Well, I think Archuleta's management and him have done a really good job of 
promoting himself in the Japanese market. Oh, oh, totally, totally. Especially yeah. after that first fight where he just like hung around for like two months, it seemed, mm -hmm. and went all over Japan meeting people. Yeah, right. He's kind of turned himself into a little bit of a star, a popular yeah. fighter. A sad thing about it is that even him tweeted about that the Bellator on the last broadcast never even mentioned anything about this title fight. You know? Okay. Did you see what the boxer tweeted? What did he, what did he uh, say? Was Spence, was it, what's his name, Spence? Because Showtime's also having a boxing fight the same yes, day. Yes, yes, yes. And the guy in that fight literally tweeted, nobody gives a fuck about Bellator. Like on his Twitter, and I was just like, "Oh my! This is the first off. Bellator is not even promoting this." And then the boxer who is leading, but who's like I think on the same network is talking trash about it. it. Is not a good look for Bellator. I'm. I've heard that Viacom is not going to invest on Bellator anymore, right? I mean, obviously, it's it's a clear fact that they are up for sale. Well, Scott Cooker's admitted that they're looking for investors. Which Viacom doesn't need money. Like no. that just tells me that Viacom's told Bellator, if you want a budget, you got to find it somewhere else because we're not going to give it to you. Right, and I, I, you know, PFL obviously interested in buying it. And even yeah. though, you know, Coker may want to do so-called partnership, whatever that is, if the PFL steps in, there ain't going to be no Bellator. They're going to just swap that roster and just make everything PFL. I mean, they already partnership. I mean. Anyway. There's no partnership. There's no sense leave, like leaving their brand Bellator. From what I understand, Scott yeah. Coker, he doesn't own any stock in Bellator. Mm -hmm. He just gets paid a salary. Right. So, so he has no say in what happens. It's the same situation as what happened at the very end of Strike Force. Right. Remember, he tried to sell it to the elite instead of not to the UFC, but the parent company stepped in and said, no, we sent it to the UFC. Right? Yeah, they wanted, they wanted money. <laughs> And also, it was the right decision, too. Yeah, it was. <laughs> that point, right? So, I mean, here, if you have a choice between some kind of half-ass partnership and leave some two brands out there, no. Yeah, exactly. Oh, come on. You know, it's, let's be realistic, right? If it's PFL, then it's just going to be PFL or somebody else. Yeah. Yeah. And but, I mean, it, it says they've never really invested in Bellator anyway, which I actually agree. Yeah. I mean, so, I mean. I mean, their entire business model might have been just to buy it and then try to flip it in a couple of years. Yeah, that's fine. I mean, I guess if yeah. that's the business model and if that's going to create more space for our platform of fighters to fight and earn good money, I'm fine with that. Yeah. And I'm okay with like like being supported by these big media companies and you know big you know you know hedge fund managers who can assure their existence for like the next 10, 20, 30 years. That's what we need. Exactly. You know? Yeah. But I mean, that's, you know, that's what the PFL is, right? And that, you know, they all Japanese lost in PFL, you know? Yeah. And it seems like nobody really well, just, really watched it, right? Well, I mean, I think it's kind of hard to watch. Is it on zone in Japan? It is DAZN, yes. Yeah. And unfortunately, DAZN just doesn't have the viewership that Abima or Unext has. Right. So I think it's and harder even, for people to watch. I mean, did you know that Czech's big event, Octagon MMA, that's on the zone in Japan too? Oh, I did not know that. No. <laughs> so, so, like, but like, so you can watch it, but nobody's watching it, basically, right? Because it's this right. Japanese fight arena. Yeah. So, so anyway, to go back to Super Rising, um, the, are you going? Um, I think I'm just going to watch it on pay per view because. Okay. I mean, I could go as media, but 
I think I'd just get a better view on my TV because okay. the media sit in a separate room. Mm-hmm. But um, um, plus the tickets are so expensive that I don't think I would want to go with my wife because, yeah, it's just crazy I'd, expensive. I'd be on the corner of Makoto, actually. Oh, did you see that they're, they're going to be in Japan? Yeah. And uh, in fact, I just realized I have to turn in the corner application. I yeah. forgot I was supposed to do it. But <laughs> did, you see that they're, yeah. did you see that they're selling the pay-per-view separately? Oh, really? You have to buy two? The Bellator and the Rising portions are being sold separately. But if you order by a certain time, you can get a bundle package for a discounted rate on the both of them. Hey, they're trying to do everything they can to, you know, make in the US, as high as possible. So I think in the US, the Bellator portion is on Showtime and the Rising portion is on Fight TV. Fight TV yeah, it has to be, right. But, um, I like. I mean, I've been critical of this card just because I think the ticket prices are insane. Mm-hmm. Because one of my good, one of my wife's good friends is the most hardcore rising fan I know. She saves up her money to go like sit in really nice seats, and even she texted me and was just like, "I'm going to watch this on pay per view. I can't afford to go." How to this much gets where like if she gets the the seats where she normally gets? How much would it be? Oh, it'd be like oh, I think it'd be like um, the cheapest tickets are what Neiman. Oh. And then, then it goes to Saman, Goman. So I think her tickets would be close to $1,000 if she wanted to go. And I'm not going to, I wouldn't pay, I would not pay 20,000 yen to sit in the nosebleeds. Yeah, it's <laughs> not, much it's, uh, <laughs> exactly. it's not really a normal, like a regular people's entertainment for the weekends, you know? Yeah, it's a, the crazy prices for this. But, um, but that being said, I mean, after going to the Yogi show and seeing how many crazy Mikuru fans there are and how many crazy Vin Hidemoto fans there are, I this will probably sell really well. And Yasukura Brothers are very popular. Horiguchi is really popular. So I think it'll sell well. The young people will go, but I just think it's too expensive. Yeah, it's amazing that some people can afford that, right? I mean... Well, I, mean, I don't know how they do it because the Japanese economy sucks and like the price, people's salaries, like <laughs> like the average salary hasn't increased in this country in like 30 years. I don't, <laughs> I don't know how they can afford these prices. Uh, yeah, I mean, GDP per person is like 35th in the world and stuff. I mean, it's not the most uh, good looking uh industrial, I mean, I mean, developed, I mean, I mean the industrial countries, yeah. you know, I mean, some criticize they should not be in G7. You know? so, yeah, like the, the average income is not that high. No, and not I, think at all. I think it's actually kind of predatory for rising to try to be selling ticket prices. You know what? And I found out, Charlie, you know, I always arranged airline tickets for my yeah. guys, right? My clients. And, mm-hmm. you know, I have to arrange tickets for Naoki, who's coming to Florida. And was he training at um, what's that place called? Right. And stay there for three months. Because it's perfect, his next fight we think it's going to be uh, October first. Oh, nice! So go back at the end of September. But anyway, so when I tried to buy the same exact ticket on Expedia from my side, and it was like twenty four hundred dollars. Okay, but when I to ask him to check it from the Japanese side, same flight he bought is was seventeen hundred. Yeah, I mean, so this is like seven hundred dollars difference. So I'm telling, all right, you buy that, and I'll send the money, kind of stuff, you know? Like, it's just much better, right, you know? Right. 
to save 700 bucks. <laughs> so it's crazy. I think it's obviously they're adjusting prices according to the market. So, right. Yeah. So, but considering that, yeah, those ticket prices are very, very expensive. Yeah. Incredibly expensive, especially considering like the density of rising events. Mm -hmm. It's like they don't do any events for three months and then it's like bam, 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 bam. They just knock out all these events in a row. Right. And that's a lot of money. But I don't know. I mean, I, I think it'll do just fine. I don't think, I'm, I'm wondering how many people in Japan actually care about the Bellator portion of this card. Mm -hmm. Because, I, I mean, it's only, uh, they care about the Horiguchi. Yeah, that's all they care about. They yeah. don't, I mean, AJ McKee put on a good fight over New Year's, but I don't think anybody cares about him really that much over here. I mean, this, is, this is like a huge music festival, you know? So we got like Rolling <laughs> Stones, right? Right, You know, like yeah. uh, Bruce, Bruce Springsteen, whatever. But there are a couple other, you know, warm-up bands. You know, I still let's do I still think the Kana Watanabe fight is wasted. They should have do whatever it takes to get Rindikai on this mm -hmm. and give the people the fight they want. Right. But anyway, so related to Bellator, that we're talking about the PFL. So I want to get into that because PFL, I don't know a lot of people has noticed that in Japan, but since they had the show in uh, Georgia, that they have uh, disclosed the fight purse. I saw that. They did disclose mm -hmm. it, yeah. Mm -hmm. and, I, thought and the, I thought considering how young PFL is a promotion, I mean, they all seem pretty respectable. Mm -hmm. I mean... I think to explain, you know, some fighters are low pay, which is like three thousand dollars, four thousand dollars, whatever. Those those are the fighters who probably came from PFL challengers, right. are getting those challengers spot, you know. But there's like a fighter like a Braga who came up through that and made it to the playoffs. So it, it was a big fucking opportunity. And guy like that fought in February, April, right, June, yeah. in the playoffs. That's full. If he gets the fight, that's five fights a year. So when you think about the, the money you can earn, that's pretty not bad. And I think you can see the trend where most of the ex-UFC fighters like a Shane, Borges, or you know, Aspen Ladd, all kinds of stuff, most of them getting a hundred K flat. Aspen Ladd's getting like a really good paycheck in the yeah. NFL. I was kind of surprised. Hundred K flat, win or lose, meaning you they don't it's not a fifty to show fifty to win. Right. So it makes everything a little bit better, I think, than the in the UFC, obviously. Right. Yeah. So and you know, um I think it's clear since it's open that they just released uh, Yamato's pay, which is eighteen thousand dollars, which is eighteen thousand to show eighteen thousand to win. You know, right. which is clearly higher than the starting, which is twelve twelve in the UFC most of the time, ten ten for you know yeah. the fighters coming from contender series. So I think you know I think they're paying equally, right? Try to be competitive with the UFC. Right now. It seems even though some Japanese uh, journalists has retweeted this, no rising fans in Japan are really looking at this. It seems like. <laughs> yeah, I just always get the impression that if you don't have like a Japanese fight, I mean, even when Horiguchi was fighting in the UFC, mm -hmm. only hardcore fans were paying attention to that. I agree. Yeah. And it's the same with like Mizuki and people like that. Only hardcore fans were paying attention to what she was doing outside of Japan. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's just, I mean, Higashi was a champion in Deep Jewels and they're all good in Japan, but I don't think any of them had like that hardcore kind of like feverish fan base that you would need to get attention. Yeah, same for Kudo too, you know? Yeah. He was a good solid fighter, title contender in Shuto, but still, you know, it's not like he was a huge name. Right. You know? 
But you know, Higashi fought in upper weight class and never, you know, did all did all right, right? And uh, yeah. Kudo had a one win, and and he had a very controversial loss against Brandon, meaning a lot of people thought he won. So yeah. he's doing okay. And uh, in terms of pay wise, his pay got open too. His was what sixteen thousand. Yeah. So sixteen thousand to win. The first fight was thirteen thirteen, so up by three and three, which is a little bit better than two and two. Uh, so. I think if a bunch, if someone went to PFL and really went on a tear and started winning, mm -hmm. I think then PFL would start getting a lot more attention. I mean, it seems almost too obvious to say, but I think the Japanese only care about like a Japanese, like they only care about a Japanese athlete if mm -hmm. they're like doing well or like if they're finding exactly. the best. So of the best. I think I think that the, the key is that I think some Japanese has to win million dollars in PFL to get noticed. If they did that, they'd be kind of a game changer. Yes, that, that would be so in terms of a Japanese market, right? In terms of right. like PFL presence in Japanese market. Then here I want to get to the point where I will make this announcement publicly for the first time that I always thought the Yamato had no business fighting in 155. Mm -hmm. I had a long talk with his parents and sponsors before Las Vegas fight that he would eventually have to think about doing 145. And if it's even there's a bantamweight division, 135. He walks around at 160, you know. He's shorter than Naoki, shorter than Kazama. I mean, shorter than any, almost any of my bantamweight clients, you know. But let me tell you this. From the track coaches, you know, George Hickman from Bangtao or Jukan from ATD Atlanta or all these uh, fighters who have sparred with him before, everybody says he's got that skills. And that toughness and the punching power that could hang in there with the lightweights. So, in other words, if he go down to featherweight or bantamweight, he'll be forced. There's no doubt about it, is what I, I felt yeah. about the two fights. Even though he lost, you know, Clay is a great fighter who beat Anthony Pettis. Shane's right. UFC ranked fighter, right? I mean, they're, they're both no joke. And Ayamato was able to hang in there to the end of the third round. And even against the clay fight, he was scoring knockdowns on those low kicks. Yeah. I mean, come on, that's very impressive. So I had talked with him and his daddy, and he has made a decision to go down to 145. That's very so, good. Number 155 for Yamato. Does PFL yeah. have a 145 kind of division? Yeah, there's featherweight division. It's not yet. They may add that next year, so that may be a possibility. But for now, since there's a, 145 is the lowest division in terms of weight class in PFL, he's going to go that weight class. And I think you can expect him to do a much better, I think. Yeah. He's yeah. probably the well, he's probably the best chance for kind of Japanese interest to kind of take yes. off on PFL. <laughs> yes. And, and look at him. He's only 20. Right. And for those who doesn't know... That he's being trained by his father. <laughs> Again, he lives in Hokkaido, which is the northern part of Japan. So yeah. his training environment was anything that good, you know. So he never really had gym, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. And you know, I, I told you about the story that he always walked in the barefoot. That's part of his daddy's training. So walked in the barefoot in the snow, walked in the barefoot into the restaurant, to the shop, to everywhere, you know, kind of stuff. And but he's it's huge, and he has that, that power, you know, and and and. I guess, you know, instead of doing the scientific training, he's been doing this nature training, whatever, in the mountain. You know, he took a lot of hit from both Shane and Clay. Yeah. And he came out fine, you know. <laughs> tough. 
You know, you see, like the mountain training. I'm just thinking of Benoa, like going up Mount Fuji and exactly. chasing the so This is a time when he finally meeting a scientific training and all the experience, the real expert coaches and all kinds of stuff. So, and he went through this first test of see if he can hang in there with the major league guys on the upper weight classes. So I'm telling you, I think he will do very well next year. Perfect. He's going to take off. And I really think, you know, of course I'm biased because I'm his manager, but I really want a lot of people to have high hope on Yamato. Looking forward to it. Yeah, yeah. To find a way to watch the zone. Is the zone free or is it like a monthly subscription? The zone is pretty expensive. So that's yes, all. Yeah, I, I, I guess. Oh, hold on. Yeah. I, okay, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's always pretty expensive, even in the states too. So I guess the soccer fans has a deep pocket, maybe, or yeah. if you want a lot of soccer, it's considered worth it. Because to me, it's more expensive than HBO Max, which is actually pretty amazing. Really? Wow. Yeah. That's just because the soccer, then. Okay. Yeah, it has to be. So at the last topic at the end, let's. I wanted to talk about Mizuki. Yeah. She'll be back in UFC September twenty third. We don't know mm-hmm. where that's going to be, but it's in America, and we can't talk about the opponents, but I think it's being leaked already. Yeah, it's on. Well, a na- I won't say it's a, a name has been put on Topology and Sharedog and several okay. websites. Okay, so it's already kind. Yeah, so yeah, it's the first fight in almost three years, right? Mm-hmm. And she had the big double knee surgeries and took a long time to for rehab and PT. So, and she it's actually, actually it's actually, she's actually had like three knee surgeries, hasn't she? In total, three, I think. Huh? Yeah, knee. Yeah, you know. She always had the knee problem since when she was sixth grade. Yeah. And again, this is, you know, I, I'm not taking anything away from his old coach. I think Yamaguchi is a great coach, taught both, you know, Mizuki Naoki, all these skills by himself. That's pretty damn amazing, right? I mean, yeah. but he had a lack of knowledge when it comes to sports medicine. So even though the parents knew that Mizuki was injured in sixth grade, it's probably maybe better to get a surgery back then. The recovery yeah, is way better back then. Right. The coach felt that not not necessary. And the parents had to listen to it. So she always had to fight through all these injuries throughout the careers. You know? Uh, yeah. So yeah. I mean finally she was and then of course she had the surgery. Mm-hmm. Then she thought it was okay. Then injured again, right? You know, in Invicta. Yeah. Uh, before the Invicta title fight in the kickboxing, which is stupid to do that fight anyway, then injured again, then injured again in UFC. So, you know, we're really looking at, you know, a girl who went through a lot, but hey, we'll see. You know? Well, I, I, I did an interview with her. I'm going to write an article mm-hmm. pretty soon. And um, she said some interesting stuff. I mean, it sounds like the recovery, she kind of, because of the first one and the second one where she re injured it, she kind of took her time with this, made sure that it was fully healed. Right. Yeah. I mean, she said she's feeling well, good. She's been sparring for a couple months now. Mm-hmm. But, you understand. After all, she's been fighting in Rita since age 18. Yeah. That's been 10 years now. She's a decade old major leaguer. You know what I mean? I mean, although right, she had injuries here and there, but look at the girls she has faced in all these times. Well, it's kind of funny. All those girls, girls she fought in Victor were like big names in uh, Alexa, Carolina, you know? Yeah. And just to answer Ichi's question, she's a strawweight. She's yeah. not a flyweight. I'm I'm putting her in 115. That's I still think that's her best weight classes. Uh, no, I'll tell you this funny story. When I, I told saw her, her fight in China. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. 125. That was the fight she had to take to get into the UFC. But 
you know, it's so funny. I tell you the funny story. I, I told her, like, what about this opponent, right? And she's like, what? am I fighting a 125? I'm like, no, nah, you're going to come to 115. <laughs> so don't yeah. even think about that. And I told her this, the day you're going to fight 125 is the day I'm going to call bare knuckle. <laughs> That's <laughs> where you're going to fight 125. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're going to go for Paige Van Sant's position. Having uh, followed her for a long time, 115 is her weight. Like 125, she doesn't have the frame for it. No, no. Yeah. But again, big money at the end of the career when she doesn't really oh, yeah. cut weight and, and to get a big paycheck. And then they're not going to maybe a good way because she's a great striker. Yeah. yeah. And she did very well in there. <laughs> I, think, you know? I was just, I was joking with a friend because they're talking about. I think someone from the UFC was asking about like wanting more Japan focused fight pass content. And I was joking that they should have like a Mizuki Kanako buddy cop series because they seem to be traveling Japan all the time. <laughs> they seem to be all the, traveling the world. It's great that you just mentioned that, but I'm bringing Kanako Mizuki back eventually this year and I mm -hmm. want to get them a car so they can drive around to the team to the team. I want to do that with Abema TV. And it's like a film. I think that'd be hilarious. Because, <laughs> I mean, Mizuki is like so different than her brother. She's like much more jokey and outgoing yes. than her brother. And Kanoko is also like equally a goofy, kind of funny person. They're both very funny character. I'm telling you, if they could do yeah. a reality show, they would be so funny. That's what I'm saying. Like, that's like yeah. that's the Fight Pass show I want, just a show that follows them around. Right. They just goof around. Yeah, they are. They're very funny. For, it's just, anyway, yeah. Yeah, I want to try to make that happen. So I want to try to do that. It's like a Thelma and Louise, you know, oh, yeah. and Mizuki and Kanako, and like you know, that's hilarious. Convertible, and you know, drive through Vegas desert and whatever. Well, I, just, I remember, was it? I think Sakaki Bara said the most he's ever seen a fighter eat was eating with Kanako. Exactly. Yeah, I heard that. <laughs> like, that's I, like, yeah, I want to. I want to witness that. I'm actually. That's the, that's the reality show I want. That's the reality show. Exactly. When I'm in Japan the next time, I've been telling them that I want to go take Kanako out to eat. Just all you can eat yakiniku. See how many plates she puts down. Exactly. I want to do that. So that's really until Anyway, so... Before we get you up, Mizuki is coming back in September. I'm trying to word on when... In September, October, too, because she's ready to go. So Kanako is also September and October? She's ready to go. I bet well, we haven't got anything offer yet, but she's ready to okay. go. No? Yeah, because when I when I was actually interviewing Mizuki, Kanako was in the same room and like doing something, and she yelled out that she wants to fight too. So I think she said she's ready. She's ready, yeah, yeah. I, I've had people asking. I got some messages. I, get messages I, want, I want them to come back all together at the same time. I was asking them about that, and they weren't sure, so I'll ask you. Now that they have a UFC contract, does that mean they can get their visa stuff? Yeah, they can. Out? Well, if they have a UFC contract, if they have a fight in U.S. confirmed, yes, they can get visa. So and I'm they can start to training in the U.S. again. Yes. Then they could get right. a visa, or at least the last four or five weeks, they could come and spot with the bigger girls. Right. Yeah, yeah, because she hasn't fought in three years. She needs to get that little sense back, you know? That's what she was saying. She was saying that um, she either wants to go to like New York or Las Vegas, so there's a bunch yeah, of those girls she can roll with. Exactly right, and Jessica De La Boni at the Extreme Couture, so as Misha Tate and all kinds of yeah. stuff. And I have to talk to Eric about that, you know. I mean, uh, you know, and Ray, and then see what's going on in New York. But right, I gotta get a visa first, <laughs> exactly. otherwise, yeah, yeah, that's the first. So it sounds like you have a busy schedule ahead of you, 
always, always. I'm always in chaos in terms of schedule. I can never make up my decision because anything could happen, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. But anyway, so uh, so I guess we talk again in two weeks again. Let's yeah, try let's to do it. it. Okay. We can do a more in-depth uh, Super Rising preview then because it'll yes, be coming let's up. Let's do that. Yeah. And by then, I get more news about maybe Kanako or more other fighters, you know, Yusaku or Kazama. So. Perfect. Okay. Sounds good. Yeah. All right. See you. See you. Yep, right.